Hello, everyone. Oh, that's good, too. Both. The combo. Ooh, Todd. You know what to do, man. You know what to do. Oh, that's good. Shit, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for that decision. <laughs> oh, you were right. Good choice. Okay, now fade it out. Beauty. Ah, oh, hell yeah. Okay, wow. Welcome back to Reads and Weeds podcast, episode number three. We are here in Redford, Michigan at Cave Radio, and I'm here in the studio. Chris is in uh, Boulder, and Lauren is in Michigan City, Indiana. And um, so much has happened since I last talked to you guys. Well, I guess I talked to Chris that one day. But Lauren, you don't know this really, but this no, is tell me a story. It's too big. It would take up the whole entire podcast. We can do it on a different call. But um, this is the we're first. Put a pin in that. We're going to put a pin in it because last Tuesday, Lauren, last Tuesday, mm-hmm. uh, your friend uh-huh. Shelley had a super intense psychedelic experience with wow. with toad venom. Okay, it was like a ritual thing, right? And and let me just explain that it's still pretty much going on. Like I'm (laughs) a fun, yeah. Like I'm a like LSD. Like there's like flashbacks. No, like every single night in my dreams, I pretty much return to the scene Mm -hmm. and feel like a vapor sometimes, like Uh, an eagle, like one with the universe kind of thing. Yeah, and so this is the first time I've smoked weed really since then because it's been like my body has been fundamentally different since that day. (laughs) Like, so Wednesday... You've been plugged into an alternate energy store. Yeah, and you're laughing, but that's 100% true. (laughs) It's 100% true. (laughs) So um, Wednesday... Right, I was close. Really excited. Right, I was dabbling. (laughs) I wasn't. I wasn't even loosely connected to the earth a week ago, but now it's like I'm having trouble hanging in there with day to day. But last Wednesday and Thursday, so it was happened Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. It was like I had a crazy flu. Like I felt like I'd run a marathon. All my muscles were sore. I was shivering. I took salt baths every day and. And I think it was just a ridiculous, huge detox because all of a sudden on Saturday, I was like, oh, it's over. I'm not, I don't have the flu. You know, nothing's wrong. I just kind of like took baths and drank a lot of water. I haven't wanted any, like my tolerance for caffeine, my desire for alcohol, my, my dreams, my, it's profound. Like it's so profound that like the group of us that were there, uh, five of us got together on Saturday night to just like talk to each other for three hours to just kind of keep unpacking it. And we're still texting today. Can you please record these sessions because I need to know. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Well, it's more just like, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's a couple of people in the group that could probably just talk. One, one woman, the day she did it, she recorded herself for 30 minutes, yeah. just trying to like talk, just trying to figure out what it, what her experience was. It's pretty big. So my point is when I first started reading this book, it was like, 
last Wednesday or something, and it was too primal. Like the fact that the dog was getting hit and the fact that it was like I couldn't yeah. even handle it. It was too real. It was too raw. I, I thought like maybe I'm not going to be able to read this book right now. I couldn't. There, Like I tried to watch an episode of Breaking Bad, and it was like, no, 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 dark, 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 bad, bad, bad. <laughs> I can't do it. Yeah, yeah. And then it was just too raw. It was too like right everything was right at the surface I was feeling every single thing and then so I had to read almost the entire book last night and this kind of like heading towards primal was really hitting me in a different way than it was I mean you know I don't know when it was the last time I read this I feel like I've read it every five or ten years since I was a teenager maybe I read it in school yeah that's what I'm saying yeah 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 I'm saying like like, I was a teenager like a very young age and so I missed a lot of these themes that were in there. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> right. And 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 what would you even know? Like, and and when I went to go get it at the library, and they said, um, "Oh, yeah, young adult." And I thought, "Oh, wow, it's uh-huh. young adult. Is it really?" And yeah. so uh, we're reading the Call of the Wild. We're talking about the Call of the Wild by Jack London. It was uh, it was published in 1903. And um, I'm just going to read something in in the back of my book about Jack London. You know, he was born in 1876 in San Francisco. After trying a number of jobs, he finally decided to continue his education and enrolled in the University of California. However, he only spent... So listen to this and try to figure out how this would work in modern times, right? He spent one semester right. there, and then in 1897, he gave up his studies and traveled to the Klondike to join in the gold rush, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Based on a two-year voyage yeah. around the world, you know yacht, blah, blah, blah. But at some point they say something about like he farts around for a couple of years and then decided to go to Stanford. Wait, wait, wait. Is that how it worked in <laughs> you know, 1890s yeah. where you could just be like, yeah, I was just getting around about that gold rush. I want to be, I want to be at one of the most prestigious schools in the country now. <laughs> and they're like, well, yeah, all right, if dude. You're, if you're a dude. Yeah. Yeah. But he, but he was <laughs> wild. He was wild. You know what I mean? Him and his wife, uh, you know, when he wrote the cruise, the snark, he, um, based, he was around the world with his wife on a small yacht. He was, but he, you know, he died, young he committed suicide i mean so he he lived on that edge of a wild life but man so yeah so tell me my first question was just when was the last time you read it and how did it hit you different like when you thought oh i'm going to read the call of the wild again what what were you thinking what it would hit you and and then how did it so lauren you want to go well yeah yeah i'll go um so i'm pretty sure it was fourth grade um wow. so yeah. I, mean, I, I yeah no I remember it very distinctly because I remember the teacher talking about it because a lot of kids thought Buck was a person right and I was like no 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 that's the dog and they're like what like and I, I just remember that very very vividly I don't think I had obviously at the time in fourth grade um, even though I'm kind of a big deal. Uh, I don't think I had the faculty <laughs> at that. I just had to throw that in there. Right. I mean, I really was, I thought pretty highly of myself back then. Sure. But uh, I didn't have any of the adult themes to identify with um, some of the, the, the heavier stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. like 
like the dog getting like beaten, you know, like some of the violence, I think, or some of like the struggle or, or just like, what do I know about the Arctic now that I didn't, you know, it's like, it's not uh-huh. like a snowy day in Michigan. You know what I mean? Like there's so many more things that you associate with like the stress of the journey or like what the dog went through and like, you know, visualizing all the different things that, you know, he went through the different families, like these poor, like abused dog going through like all these different things. Oh yeah. Um, it, I think to me, like, I was like, whoa, I don't remember any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I, I, I think I just can't remember fourth grade at all. Like, I think I had Miss Crocker. That's it. That's the end of my memory. And, oh, and well, like Miss Crocker. I remember. Yeah. You know, like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I was not reading. <laughs> I'm sure I was, well, I was but I just reader. don't remember. Was I was a big reader. I was a big reader, well, but but I think my my memory, my last memory of this was just thinking it hit me different this time, but my desire, the reason why my desire to read it was because I remember the last time I read it being like, how do I feel about that primal drive? And how satisfying it is, you know. And I think the more and more he gets closer to being the creature he was meant to be and, you know, feeling all connected to his ancestors and roaming through the woods, the more alive he is. And and I remembered that, but it hit me so much harder this time. So, Chris, same question to you with how did you remember it and how did it hit you this time that was different? Well, I may have totally made this up in my head, but I'm pretty sure I got turned on to this story because I was dating Peter Zool in high school. <gasps> and he was a Wow. Yeah. This is unfair. I do not know who that is. I need to have details <laughs> yeah, so. now. He was cute, and he used to go around with his friends and play mailbox baseball. <laughs> and we partied at the pool. That's all you need to know. There was a lot of partying. Yeah. It was the 80s. Smoking a lot of weed. Yeah, yeah. Um, Anyway, Pete and Brock, that's all you need to know, really. Uh Brock. And, oh my God. Anyway, he was a big reader. So, and I got, I just was not a very good reader until probably I got into my 20s because I I was probably a little dyslexic and I just never knew. Mm -hmm. And then I, I just struggled with it. But I was surrounded by readers. My mom was a reader big time reader. I always had books. Stretch, Stretch Gardner was a big time reader. Mm-hmm. And Pete, Pete was a big reader. He got me into a bunch of books, bunch of books. And this was one of them. And his favorite story was To Build a Fire by Jack London. Which, mm. you know that story? I right. don't. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's a that short story, Christmas, isn't it? Yeah. So that yeah. Christmas, I, for Christmas, I asked for a collection of Jack London short stories. And I, so I, for 25-something years, 30 years, I've had this collection of Jack London. So every once in a while, I'd open and thumb through it. Um, and so when I read it again this time, it was very much like going way back to when I read it, probably in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was a sign before that. I sure as hell didn't read it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, I, I kind of thought, um, God, it's so basic. Like, it's very... Um, 
it reminded me immediately of like Hemingway and uh, and writers mm-hmm. that were coming. Are you talking like about to build a fire or call the wild to build a fire? Call the wild, just Jack London. Oh, oh, Jack London in general. Jack okay, he, okay. And in this story, like it's just it's he's so it's so primal, and it's like the dog was in his comfort zone, and it, that was like that was everybody's goal was to like after the gold rush and all of the it's like people were starting to have like luxury and sitting back, mm-hmm. and so it was like. That was the dog, and then it was. But then, every single chapter, the dog is going through some other form of. The way I read it was like suffering or learning, and then by the end, being like, "Oh wait, like this actually woke up a bunch of shit in me, and this Mm -hmm. is who I really am." Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. he never would have gotten there if he didn't. Yeah, I mean, in those terms, I I thought, "Wow, what a nice, great story," but I was very struck at like just how simple and basic. It seemed because in my mind, I remembered it as being like the first time I read it. I remember just being like, wow, what a great writer. And this time I read it and I was like, yeah, for the 1900, it's awesome. And it's also, it's just, I, it felt um, really like just old and dudish. Oh, dude-y. really? See, I was thinking yeah, it was so, so, yeah, so capturing. Well, okay, so let's let's let me summarize here that Buck is a dog and and you really don't it's almost like the humans in the story are side characters and the dogs are mm-hmm. the dogs are what the story is about and um and the dog is well, with a master in uh, Santa Clara, California during the gold rush and he is and what what is happening in the larger story of the world at this time is that men are like dogs from Southern California all the way up to Alaska are being rounded up and sold to be on, on sled teams. Some of them, you, you know what I mean? It's just an entire industry capturing and selling dogs and then running them thousands and thousands of miles. So that is the larger story of what is happening to Buck. And this is the story really of just this dog and the other dogs in the sled, but mainly this dog and his change, the change from being kind of on an estate and living with this family to then the gardener, a judge judge with a judge judge. and kind of having a cush, kind of having a cush dog life. And then he's, and then he's taken. So, this well, is a his, yeah. Go ahead. To be specific, his his gardener, the mm-hmm. judge's gardener, yeah. tells the dog because the the gardener is in debt. Yeah. And yeah. I, I there are many times reading this that I was like, he's really going out of his. I felt like going out of his way to point out that all of the characters, all the men and the dog, like he's talking about a lot about economy and people who didn't matter and like the judge is doing Mm -hmm. great but the gardener meanwhile is like starving and betting and has to do this like heinous act yeah it's Mm -hmm. gambling debt right it's gambling gambling debt yeah i don't think we talked about it in fourth grade (laughs) yeah 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 that was interesting Oh, yeah. Well, the whole, like, gold rush thing in general, like, that's not, like, when I think about that right now, it's so, like, just, I'm going to wander out into the wilderness and pan for gold in 60 degree below zero, and this whole economy springing up around it, where, like, there's a mail route, you know, where, like, 
the mail route that sprung up around the gold rush. It's just so fascinating that that was this push west was people freaking panning for gold and this whole yeah. It's amazing. It's like <laughs> when well, I think it, it's yeah. More than that though, right? It's like the manifest destiny, like the American quest for riches. You know, oh yeah, conquer other terrain. It's this. It's this drive. Like I'm going to strike it right. But I'm saying in this particular time in 1900s, it wasn't a bunch of people moving to Silicon Valley to join Google and Facebook. It was men like and dogs. It was like the same exact story of I'm going west to make it big, but so gritty, you know, and just so like life and death. Men, men getting, getting to go back to the land, you know, it was like. Let's go back. We're going to dig gold from the land with my dog. And it's just like so romantic. But no, I thought it was just desperate and greedy. Yeah, I just, I didn't see it as romantic at all. I just thought it was desperate and greedy. Yeah, they weren't like, I'm super educated. Like, I don't see it as a guy who's like, honey, let's start making our own pickles. (laughs) You know, I think they're like, I am probably destitute and uneducated and. I've heard that there's gold and it's this very basic, like I should go get some of that because then maybe I can be a rich man too. And I felt, I feel like it's that basic. Like, I don't think there was sophistication or romance. I I just don't see it. And, And the thing about this book that I think is so great is that I think he captures this kind of basic nature of like men wanted to go find the gold and because that desire was so strong, this entire world sprung up around it. You know, just this entire era happened because of it. That is the setting. Basically, all of that is just setting for what is happening, right? So my next question is the change, okay? And how you feel about the beginning of change and then how you feel about it. What I mean specifically is I love dogs. And when I first started reading this book last week, the first few pages where he's being broken by the man in the red sweater, I could not take it. I was just picturing every dog I knew and it was breaking my heart and I was dying. I could not take it. And the like being broken, the dog being broken was killing me. (laughs) And then as the story went on, the way I felt about him quote being broken changed, right? Because of the lessons he learned from it. So my question for you guys is, how did you feel about the, quote, dog being broken, you know, the law of the club kind of thing? Oh, yeah, the law of the club. You know, I just really felt like, for me, this time, now the first time I read it, I do remember very much feeling like it was much more in tune to the dog, because I'm a dog person too, but I, this time reading it, the whole time I was seeing, reading about Buck, I saw him as a dog, but I saw him as just a representation of like sort of the the really what London is making this commentary about men and what we do to each other and who we really are. And so for me, I very much just humanized Buck this time. And so for me, I kind of oh. came out of it. Yeah, I was just kind of like, you know, it's what a shame that this is what people do to each other. Um, but no matter what we go through on these crazy things that we decide to do, um, cause so much pain and suffering that, you know, there is through the whole, no matter what's going on the whole time, there's this calling and it's almost like you're suffering and maybe you're learning 
And, you know, maybe if you pay attention, like Buck does at the end, where I love how he slowly starts to leave the camp and slowly, like, starts to go out to the edge on his own. And I thought that that was, to me, it was, like, really about, like, a man saving himself or letting go. Oh, wow. I did not humanize the dogs at all. But, Lauren, what did you do? Tell me about thinking about the change. Well, I definitely pictured in my head one of those, like, Sarah McLaughlin commercials, you know, where it's like, in the arms of the But again, okay. it's almost about how, like, you project your, yourself into a book, you know what I mean? Mm, okay, yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Like, you, like, I know what extreme cruelty, like, you know, man can have at any given point. And I think I'm struck by the history of the time also, like, this gorgeous wilderness that it was like the beginning of us just like taking, you know, from the land yeah. and from animals and anyone who would get in the way of those selfish desires. So yeah. it's almost as if, you know, so Buck is the, the moral compass, right? And the yeah. commentary on the other humans they are doing the other terrible things. And then yeah. at the same time, it's so depressing because it makes you think about some of those like movies you've seen with like God's main character that go through these like journeys and like, you know, we humanize them and all that. But like, <laughs> yeah, when it comes yeah, down to that, yes, a dog has a primal instinct, but like, I cannot believe in my head that the dog is the more like the dog does not have, you know, like, like the wisdom or the, you know, the reason. And that's the sad thing about it is that no one will stop man from destruction or taking from natural resources or crushing. You know what I mean? Like, it's an allegory, obviously, but yeah, huh. I oh, found wow. it to be just incredibly depressing because, wow. <laughs> you know what I mean? When you start thinking about, like, yeah. everything that we have <laughs> just, like, taken from people and, like, Native people, you know, like, I really get into, like, the time period and what's really happening at the time of the story, I uh-huh. guess. You know what I mean? Yeah. And well, I'm context. just, I just saw it, at, like... I, I was so into just the animal, like the pure animal. I wasn't thinking, I wasn't humanizing any of it. I was thinking of it as like, wow. he's trying his best to tell the story of dog. what, or no, he's trying his best to tell the story of what, you know, because if you picture, if you're in, out in the wilderness, right? Picture being out in the wilderness, the, you, you know, this, there's yeah. no, there's no, yeah. they, they don't have books. They don't have distractions. They don't have the internet. They have, they have shit. They have their dogs. Their dogs are their survival. So it, it, when right. he, when he, Jack London was, he was purely experiencing what it was like to rely on the dog and the dog to rely on him, and that kind of oh. mutual survival. We're freezing to death together, and if we don't get the food, if we can't carry it on the sled, if you can't carry the food on the sled, we're all gonna die. Like, we're out here, it's 60 degrees below zero, and it's the men and the dogs, and that's it, you know? And so yeah. I would think that you're just looking at the dog every day, and they're your, your partners. That's it. And so you're observing your, your animal partner, it, you know? Your, your, and so I think, yeah. like, my, my impression was that he was just kind of in awe of... 
the wild, powerful nature of the animal that he spent so much time with. You know, like this is your, they, they, they did 3,000 miles, you know, before he met up with John Anthony. Right. It was 3,000 miles with this pack of dogs through different people. But think about right. even even a dog that you would spend, you know, you would yeah. feel connected. You would feel like you knew how they were communicating, you know, and Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So so when I think about the lessons from the humans, like the man in the red sweater is the like he learns that lesson. He refers back to it again and again and again. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 so at times Buck chooses to fight to the end. And at times he chooses to submit. And I am curious what your thoughts were about that. Because at times <laughs> he chooses to get in the middle, fight, jump in the mix. He he yeah. and at other times he chooses submission or burying himself in a hole or loyalty or whatever. And so what do you think about that? I think for me that I, for me, what was really clear about that is that it was like the, every, every scene where he's in that position or he's contemplating what he's going to do and trying new things on. It's literally just his will to survive. And he's trying to figure out how to survive and realizing that each situation, he has a couple of choices to make. But I also thought that he, in some ways, there were instances where he was like, I'm going to be the guy in the red sweater in this incident. Like he became the tough guy and maybe saw a use for that, which is like so sad and cynical, but for <laughs> the dog, but, um, yeah, I saw that, and then I thought that um, toward the end, though, I, I really feel like ultimately Jack London was saying, oh, I, I don't know if Jack London was saying, I think the whole thing for him was like kill or be killed, maybe, but I also got like a, like a spiritual next place a little bit vibe from the end. Of, I don't know. He survives, but he, like, transcends. Oh, he totally transcends, I think. I think. Yeah. 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 He transcends. And so, for me, and that's the, without that part of the story, I would have been like, wow, what a depressing story. But the fact that it's like, no, he's actually going to take his whole experience and take it to the next thing. He's like going to fully become the next thing or something. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Lauren, anything else on that? The choice, the choices of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because I'm a cynic and I also, um, I think that I get hung up on these details because I was reading it with a really critical eye. But Mm. I was like, listen, man, dogs can't see in color. Just FYI, (laughs) the man in the red sweater. (laughs) Um, Well, the whole thing, the whole thing, though, is like, right. Yeah, it's like. Wow. Yeah, like, obviously, yeah. like, we're seeing, you know, Buck is a human, right? Like, because of the thoughts and the observations. And so yeah. it's like the internal struggle, like, man versus man, you know what I mean? And I, because I also like to make things about me. So it's like the, like the power and the struggle 
to fight and when, and to know when to submit is always very challenging, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. to me yeah. personally. Um, but I think, like you were saying, it is a sign of spiritual growth to know, like, this is the hill I'm going to die on or this is the battle that I'm fighting because we're all you know we humans you know we're all like you know a young dog ready to fight and then we get you know we learn or we don't right? even want you know like we're we're just happy at home with the judge by the fire every night we don't even want to fight and the fight shows up anyway and you have to right either fight right. or submit well right? because that's that's represented so clearly in like billy so the dog, I mean, I guess that's how you pronounce it is Billy, but is the dog that doesn't really cause trouble, like spits from the get-go, There, there's the power struggle, right? And so, yeah. Solex is sort of like the dutiful one, you know, who's like, the, I mean, they're all an- animals, but, but they all have their role, and there's the... So, so what I really appreciated was was the it, it, he's not subtle, right? I mean, the first chapter is called "Into the Primitive." The second is called "The Law of Club and Fang." The third is called yeah. "The Dominant Primordial Beast." The fourth is yeah, called yeah. "He Who Has Won to Mastership," and then the little subsection of that one is called "Buck Dreams of the Ancient Past." I mean, so it's not like the toil of trace and tail. He's not making you guess like, this is what I'm getting at. He's saying, this is what I'm getting at. Right. He's saying first, I'm going to take this creature from civilization to, to wilderness. That's step one. I'm taking this creature from civilization to wilderness and certain things are going to happen to this creature. And then this creature is going to learn a different law, right? The law of like, surviving by sheer fight and bullying and you know that and that's like level one for buck of like i feel like that's buck's first glimpse at oh yeah i'm a fucking animal you know like he forgot because he was laying next to the fire at the feet of the judge he forgot And the the the, yeah. the moving into the wilderness, like this is your original setting, but then being beaten, it was like immediate return to, you know, to to that. And and there was um oh my gosh, I I put little post its everywhere, but there's the first time that um there's the first time that he says like the ancient, he hears the, the ancient howl for the first time. And he's kind of, you know, wait a minute, where was it? He was beaten, but not broken. I know what you're talking about. You know, the one, it was like the first time that he says, Oh, and I hear, he hears the howl and realizes that he's never heard it before, but he has. And he, and he knows he knows that he has. So he joins in and he starts to connect. He starts to connect to that, which I just thought was like, oh, yeah. Like that's, so for me. Yeah, no, that part was really important. Like it really reminded me of, it's kind of like, you know, it's like human women, right? Like, you know, when you go through childbirth or something, you know, there's something primal, like, you know, like all of a sudden it clicks and you're like, well, I know what to do. And there's something yeah. really deep inside you. you know, like, 
don't know. I don't know if it's just like, yeah, I wouldn't weird. normally read a book about a dog in the wilderness in the 1900s, but like that's kind of some of the stuff I think I projected on it. Like, this, yeah, this, there's something within us all, dog or human, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Well, well, in that guttural or state, you know, if you're in a situation like where it's fight or flight, you know, or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is the first time that he really says it. He says, and not only did he learn by experience, but instincts long dead became alive again. The domesticated generations fell from him in vague ways. He remembered back to the youth of the breed, to the time the wild dogs ranged in packs and the idea of just in this manner had fought forgotten ancestors. Like it just he's remembering his instincts being back in his, in this, you know, in the wilderness, he's remembering his entire lineage, which is right. just amazing. And, and because I was thinking, um, probably just because I had a super intense psychedelic experience, but <laughs> <laughs> most, likely. most likely, but, um, but, but that's, but, so but, dumb. but for the last, well, yeah. And you think about it like that's magic, animal, magic, witchy, crazy shit right there that just happened to me. Yeah. Right. Like for like yeah. no denying. And, and so this, you know, what we all kept talking about is just instantaneous, instantaneously, you're just everything, your animals, your stars, yeah. your babies, your death, your wind, your everything instantaneously. And the idea that 1901 was a long time ago doesn't even make sense. It's like, no, it's not. Yeah. It's right now. The, the idea that you wouldn't be connected to your ancestors from, from 15 generations ago just seems ridiculous because, of course, you are. You know, of course, they're in your exact lineage. You have the same cells in your body. You're just in a different situation than they were. That's all. Yeah. You have a car now, yeah. so it doesn't take you a uh, four days uh, journey to go get the salt, <laughs> you know, to, to keep the meat from spoiling yeah. in the winter. That's all. But you're still the same primal creature in a different setting. So yeah. I was connecting with that because he think, starts. Like, do you think yeah. we are, though? Yes. Like, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Like, what I'm saying is, like, okay, so when this is going on, right, like in the early 1900s, like humans were so different. No, I, I guess I'm thinking about the idea of like people now, like going and doing exactly what they did in the book. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. Thinking yeah. about like how humans have evolved and changed, but like, I don't know if we have that touch. connection to like um, our hunter-gatherer ancestors, like a dog does. But then, I don't know, then you wonder, like, does the dog think like this? <laughs> Am I communicating with my cat on this level? <laughs> well, I think, I, I think the, <laughs> everybody's doing the exact same thing. It's just the trappings are different. The trappings yeah. are, I'm going to go, instead of, like, I'm going to get a dog sled and go get gold, it's like, I'm going to buy a Suburban and go get a job in Silicon Valley. But there's still, like, the desire, the journey the wanting to succeed, the wanting to, you know, whatever, and then abusing things along the way, that is happening right at this moment, you know. And then in other parts of the country, there are these, there's the Iditarod. The Iditarod still happens, you know. There's yeah, still so. people going across snow with, with dogs. That's still 100% happening. Um, so, so the... In fact, that's where we're... 
that's where we're uh, operating from today. Out on the <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So let's take a let's take a moment to thank our sponsors, DoggyFootPads.com. Homemade yeah. doggy foot pads right. made out of moose hide right here in Redford, Michigan. I'm just kidding. That does not exist. Right. You guys, I have to just tell you real quick. My son just went and silently said um, goodbye, and he's wearing his Cub Scout uniform. <laughs> Very important. Can you take a picture and send me a picture of that friend? I will send you because I bet it's so cute, so cute. Um, so, so anyway, here, here was the other thing that I loved about this was while Buck is heading into wildness, right? There's also little scenes where you remember that there's man dog relationship and that that is a sweet thing. And the first time I see it was, um, you know, Buck is, um, not taken over spits yet, but, they're there, but it, but the tensions are high, right? And they're running through ice, and they're still with Francois and Perot, and they're working hard, right? They're on their way to Big Salmon, Little Salmon, Five Fingers, and then, um, <laughs> so Buck's feet are hurt, and he doesn't want to receive his ration of fish. So this is the part that reminded me, you know, cause for a while you're just thinking about the dogs and they're just being brutally driven to in the snow and ice. And it's just kind of hard to imagine and see and take. But then he says all day long, he limped in agony and camp once made lay down like a dead dog. Hungry as he was, he would not remove move to receive his ration of fish, and Francois had to bring it to him. Also, the dog driver rubbed Buck's feet for half an hour each night after supper and sacrificed the tops of his own moccasins to make moccasins for Buck. And when yeah. I read that part, I was like, yeah, oh, oh, he's he's got a relationship with this dog. He sees it. Yes, he's being driven to death, but he cuts out his own shoes and makes shoes for the dog, and then he says... This was a great relief. And then this scene, like Buck even caused the weazened face of Perot to twist itself into a grin one morning when he forgot the moccasins and Buck lay on his back, his forefeet waving in the air and refused to bet. <laughs> and you realize what a sweet scene that is of this big, massive, glorious dog being on his back with like his paws in the air. Hey, dude. Yeah. Hey, you made yeah. me those little shoes, remember? <laughs> Those on, put those on right now. Yeah, Aww. yeah, that is yeah. Pretty cute. Yeah, yeah. Well, I relate to that so much because my dog is um, twelve, and um, we we've had him since my son was ten, and oh. those twelve years have just been so tumultuous. <laughs> so Milo has been through it all, and now his back hips are out, and so literally, like I had to Aww. buy him a ramp to get in and out of the car. To come up the steps here, I have I wait for him to go up a couple steps, and then I have to go lift his backside, mm-hmm. and then we go up the steps together. So mm-hmm. he'll literally like just come to the bottom of the steps and wait for me because he knows I'm going to come. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and then he just comes upstairs and lays down. Like he's just got to be right next to me. It's yeah, thing. it's a thing. I would make mock. It's so interesting. Back. You know, I wonder. So this, is, so follow me here. So it's interesting, like, we have our own personal connections with animals, right? And we know that, like, we're especially domesticated animals, right? Like, there's such a connection that we Mm -hmm. have with them, and we know that they communicate with us on a certain level. 
I wonder if Buck wouldn't be the same dog if he hadn't started out in a domesticated way. Do you know what I mean? Like, and be able to connect that way. With well, you know, it, well, it's it's interesting because when when you know I was trying to, I was wondering if I should ask you know about the personalities of you know Spitz and Solex and Billy and but but there's almost like not enough information to form too too much except for how a group falls into their roles and yeah. like uh-huh. that like how a group falls into their roles and how some people are like vying for leadership and they're fighting to the death for leadership and the other people are like. Go nuts, you guys. I'll just be in second in yeah. line here, trotting That's along right. until I die. I'm yeah. good, you know. And others are just dutiful. Like, you guys, stop fighting. Let's just pull the sled. Yeah. <laughs> stop <laughs> stop fighting. But Buck and Spitz are just, they both, they both want it. And, and, and the picture of um, Francois and Perot knowing that, uh, you know, eventually they just know there's going to be a fight to a death. There's not like, they're just, they're managing it, but it's going to happen. You know, there's going to be a fight to the death. And there's certain urges, like they have those urges, the other dogs don't. And that is fascinating to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's like if you're raised in captivity versus if you were like brought into, you know what I mean? Like the amount of worldview you have and your role based on what you bring into the experience, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Well, plus I think. Because like I, I yeah. think myself, I'm always like someone who would like buck the trend or like, oh, you know. Like, yeah. You want to be in charge. I, you want to be in charge well, for sure. I think of you as like the you want to be in charge. You know, some things I would want to be in charge of. Some things I do not want to be in charge of. No, Lauren wants to be in charge. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I know. Am I right, Lauren? I Say yes. <laughs> I have been broken. <laughs> yeah, I know now certain things, you know, don't always work out and you don't have to die on every hill. Right. Um, I have, you know, as it were, learned. <laughs> my place in certain situations. Yeah. But think about it. Your natural instinct, though, probably, if you think about repeated situations, right, in your mm. becoming of who you are right now, um, power struggle. And maybe when that power struggle was going on, there were people around going like, I hope they work that out over there, you know, like that are not in on the power struggle. And I think about like what brings, what brings, uh, this group together and Buck, you know, the story's about Buck. So it would be weird if he wasn't in on the power struggle probably, but that he's like (laughs) going to be the leader. He's going to be the leader and that's it. And you kind of respect him for it because my impression is kind of like, well, Spitz seems like an asshole. (laughs) Like... (laughs) I kind of would rather work, I, if I was going to toil in the traces, I'd rather toil for Buck than Spitz. Spitz just seems like kind of a dick boss, and Buck seems kind of like a badass boss. <laughs> you know, where you're like, yeah, yeah I'll run yeah. behind that guy. He's super shiny. <laughs> you know? I heard he used to live in the <laughs> South. He seems like a badass. Everybody thinks he's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I think that's Pretty like funny. him taking up the fight. Like, that's, he decides, like, he's, yeah, he was sitting on his haunches back at home, but the minute he was like out there in the game, I think it's the end of chapter one where it's mm-hmm. like, 
I think he even says something about like, oh, we're not going to play fair. And he just like, is that's like, it. Okay, I get it. Gonna play fair. Let's mm-hmm. go. Mm-hmm. And that's it. You know? Yeah. And he didn't know that, that he even needed that before. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so then, so so now he's getting to, so there's there's like the more in touch with the the primal, and and the, so he's um, da 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 da, he it's still still him and and Spitz is still alive at this point, but when they're hauled cabin logs and firewood freighted up to the mines and all manner of work that horses he was try he was remembering like oh horses used to do this work that I'm doing now. I used to watch horses do this work. Um, in the main, <laughs> they were the wild wolf husky breed. Every night regularly, I love this for some reason, every night regularly at 9, at 12, and 3, they lifted a nocturnal song, a weird and eerie chant in which it was Buck's delight to join. And the idea that there's this regular howling every three hours, that, that the entire, yeah. all of them start howling, and it's so amazing. Then he describes the Aurora Borealis, flaming coldly overhead and you know the song of the huskies might have been the defiance of life only it was pitched in minor key with long drawn wailings and half sobs and it was the pleading of life the articulate travail of existence the old song of the breed and the idea of this like the beginning it's like it's like they're howling with longing you know they're howling as a group with the longing of when they were just they were just dogs. They were just dogs yeah. running out in the wilderness together. They weren't owned by anyone or working for anyone. You know, they were just, it's like this yeah. mournful <laughs> wail that that yeah. picture is so, that and picture see, is I vivid. I think that's Jack London, and to some degree, create, like mythologizing man being on the land in the wilderness. So for me, He's mythologizing it a little bit, and that's what the story is, and that's cool. But it's also, I think, a little romantic um, about, like, this is, like, when men go back to the land and they face their problems and they duke it out and, you know, they get back in touch with their primordial beast within, and then, you know, they're, like, more themselves or back to some primal place, but... I don't, I think a dog is a much better way to get that across because a dog already being an animal, as a reader, you can be like, oh, he's back in touch with his animal. But if you think about Buck being a person, and if, if that is also Jacqueline and being like, yeah, so you go through all this struggle, but then you have this um, potential transcendence and, um, you know, this is, this is the way, like man versus the world kind of shit um it is it's a little romantic it's a little like um god not dogmatic but like um mythological like um it's kind of this dangle like come come dig for gold and watch your dogs freeze in the sled and um you know but at the end you're like you're back to being a man kind of thing I don't know. Oh, I think it's so. I think it like romanticizes the reality, right? Like, I don't think anything's right. It sounds fucking brutal to me. It sounds totally (laughs) brutal. It's right. What is the part that's romantic to you guys? 
the 60 degrees below zero or the frozen dog feet? No, no, no. What's romantic to me is the message. And I think the message is like all the details are harsh. And of course they'd have to be because for men to learn, they'd have to have these horrible struggles and then survive. What's romantic to me is that he, he, he sort of uses that, that setting, like you said, to be like, um, but, or, or I guess I'm asking, is he doing that to say men have gotten so far away from who they really are? And if they allowed themselves to be wild again, if they put themselves in this environment where they had to rely on those instincts that they're getting lazy because they never use them, like, isn't that what Jack London is saying? Like, and that, that part, if that's true, is very romantic to me. Well, you know what's interesting is I'm realizing is fundamentally you're looking at it from a human standpoint I'm looking at it from an animal standpoint. I'm going like, nope, it's a story about a dog. You know, I'm going like, nope, it's about a dog. You know, I don't think, I think Jack London wasn't sophisticated enough. You know, like my, my, my image of Jack London was he was so close to being a wild, kind of wild guy himself that, like, think about those guys, those people, just those people you know that live kind of wild you know what I mean like they're close they're not they don't fit into society that well right and we live in the most modern time of ever and you know so you take that same person and if there weren't all the trappings of society they would be so close to animalistic like they probably you know but so so when when I think about when I think about Jack London writing about dogs I picture him like just spending a lot of times with dogs and writing about him thinking no, about him I yeah totally agree. he's totally writing what he knows and it's all factual and that's what makes the details of yeah. the dog and the setting it's all totally true I'm just saying I also think he knew what he was doing when he wrote the story I think he was really I think he was digging and making a commentary about human beings too like what about us and we've domesticated our dogs. We've dumbed down our dogs. We're probably dumbing down ourselves. And can we, is there a way, like if I took my, some frog, um, what did you snort? <laughs> frog testicles? What was it? Frog? Venom. <laughs> frog venom. Toad. Frog. Toad. Not toad, frog. Toad venom. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, maybe... It's like just about his commentary on we're forgetting. We're forgetting how yeah. we're all connected. Yeah. 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 I have some ideas about this. So okay. I think that if you look at it, like if you compare man versus, and I agree with you, if you compare like man versus dog in this story, I think the really interesting thing to consider is that man could never do that alone, right? Like, man could never go out in the wilderness like that without the dog. You know what I mean? Like, we are this, like, evolved species higher uh, in the food chain because of our, you know, our intellectual faculties, our ability to reason. But the interesting thing about it is really, in that scenario, the dog rises to the top of the food chain because the dog, like, the dog can survive in that natural you know mm-hmm. like it's almost like there's never I don't know yeah. that's what I think I was trying to get at earlier like I think that we are way 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 too removed 
Oh, yeah. Um, humans, our evolved selves, to ever be able to survive. And animals capture that feral wildness, even even my yeah. cat, like pretending to hunt a bird in the yard. You know, I'm like, yeah, that's yeah. a tiger, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah. I think it's interesting. Yeah. One other um, sort of like Debbie he, Downer thing. Wait, do, do, yeah. what did you say, Lauren? Debbie Downer thing? Yeah. So one other thing that I think that I would, that is um, strikingly missing from the story, obviously, is like any sense yeah. of like female versus male. You know, like this is a man's world. It's a man's, man's, man's world. So I think that's absolutely too. Thinking about, like, you're talking about, like, oh, man's purpose is to build things with his hands and to go live on the land and have a dog. But, like, let's take a step back <laughs> yeah. for a second and also consider that there's a whole other sort of, like, primal part of the world that sustains the world and, you know, creates life. Whether it's a female dog <laughs> or it's a female human being. I guess I was just feeling that last week. You know, like, hey, oh, absolutely. You know, no, this is a story man's struggle against man. Or I was just thinking it was the same. Like, I, I wasn't putting any gender on the dog at all. Like, I was just like, wow. not, not at all. Not at all. I wasn't thinking about <laughs> any gender at all. I was just thinking about return to primal instinct and how far away you are and then getting close. Well, well, be, I think he gets there. Like, so, so okay, so here's, here's one way he talks about it, is he talks about, like, when he's laying in front of the fire and he, um, he's not homesick and, and his past home was dim and distant and they had no power over him. And, and, like, he wasn't going, oh, I wish I was back in that cushy place. Like, that's not what he's, he's doing. He was just looking at the fire and realizing that he related more to the fire, you know what I mean? Because he was pure and, and instinctually living from hunting and just kind of like, when you think about, so, so the way I was relating to it, I wasn't thinking about gender or anything. I was thinking about the way you feel when you know you're completely in line with the thing that most makes sense with your instinctual nature. So you're yeah. sleeping when you feel like sleeping. You have just enough food and not too much food. You're taking care of the things that need to be taken care of, but you're not doing a lot of petty things. And you you have that kind of... And that's when there's sort of this energy of living that isn't like, I got to go turn this paperwork in, you know, and I've got to go, you know, I wonder, what's, I, know. I wonder what yeah. I can watch on Netflix. It's more about like, yeah. I feel alive because I'm not thinking about how I'm living because the living is so pure. Like if you've ever run a really long distance until you're delirious or you've had to work on something really, really hard until your body's nope. exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh, that, 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 so when I think about primal nature, I think about like when you're getting back to the part where you're like, I'm as close to living purely towards instinct that I can be where I'm living less with the constructs of what was built around me and more in line with just being a human person who needs to move well 
What I kept thinking about yeah, is, is the disease of the human that's <laughs> in this construct that we work in right now, right? The, the, we, we, we don't move around that much, so we have to go to a building with machines in it and sit on them and move our arms and legs around. So that we, but humans were made to move and run around and climb trees and be barefoot and digest the things that were in their <laughs> five-mile radius around you, you know, like... The closer, I think, the closer people get to that primal, like, this is how we're supposed to love and meet and see each other and connect and eat and digest. And the less you have to worry about the larger kind of modern constructs of the world and the more real life feel. So when I think about the call of the wild, I think about realizing that the world you're living in is a construct of civilization. And you know that underneath all this bullshit, there is your instinctual needs. Like you have certain needs and you, and, and all the other stuff that's stressing you out is likely in the way of those needs. And the further away people get from those needs the stranger kind of human that they are, you know, <laughs> they're like a stranger yeah. kind of human, yeah. not totally. connected totally. to their Doing instincts. Yeah. yeah. See, that makes me think even more. I wonder if you were to get away from that, would you ever be able to outrun the social construct of like being a woman? You know what I mean? Like, is there a place that we could no. ever like truly be free? Cause I know last no, week, maybe that's why. And, yeah, well, exactly. And that, like, when you were talking, Shelly, I wish so hard that I could have that that view. But all I was thinking was, like, well, yeah, but I also got my period. So that was something that got in my way. <laughs> yeah, but, but the thing but is, is the, the social construct <laughs> around that isn't like, like, for example, I, you, you know I've done every tribal strange witchy thing, but, like, uh, you know, women in Native American societies would just like, you know, build a fire and all be in one tent because like they were honoring the sacred yeah. cycle of the moon yeah. and the bringing of, you know, it was like a big deal. So what I mean by social no, construct is we've divi- we've separated ourselves. We've gone like, oh, I don't want to talk about it, but I've got my period. <laughs> it's like... You bring oh life God, to the. Yeah, no, it's like that's the funny thing is that yeah. Now it's like I want to imagine like a female version but of okay. this story with like, okay, like <laughs> female like, dogs and female. Yeah, but I think like you have to remember too that this like it's interesting. Like I wanted to think about chicks too, and I was irritated. But this is why it also reminds me of Hemingway. I mean, just at this time in literature, it was a hundred percent a man's world. And this is Jack London writing in, in the um, in the most popular way of his time, and um, was widely read. And at that time, it was all about men and their journey. And it was taken for granted that when men wrote stories about men doing things and this and all that, and um, that. You know, women women were were always in the background somewhere, and you know, there's I don't think there's a single woman mentioned in this entire story, 
but I know. Yeah, there is. There is. There is. I can't believe you guys haven't thought about it. Mercedes. 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 That's true. So we haven't we haven't gotten to Mercedes yet. Though we haven't gotten to Mercedes yet. Yeah. So. Yeah, she was a pain in the neck. But but but. I feel like she represents something completely different. She doesn't represent a woman at all. So, um, but Dave, when Dave dies, when Dave doesn't want to leave mm. the traces, that was fucking heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And um, sure. Dave, and I think about people, like, again, I didn't genderize this in my mind. I, um, when I think about Dave, I just think about that person you know who's committed to something that's killing them. And because it's the because it's the only thing they know and because it's become their personality, they cling to it and they can't imagine. So even if you're like, no, get out of this, this is killing you, you're going to die. They, you know, Dave bit through Solex harnesses and stood in his spot even when he was dying in the traces he wanted to yeah. die in the traces because that's what he knew. And I thought yeah. about that. That was so heartbreaking just because I was thinking, like, there's so many people who are so only identified with the way that they are in the traces. They don't want to be cut from the traces and heal because then oh. they wouldn't have an identity. It's everything. Right. It's everything. Yeah. It's everything. It's everything. And they're all... Yeah. And, and, and it's like everything around that dog is like, you know, kind of, they don't talk about it that much, but the owners are trying to make it easier on him. And he doesn't yeah. want it. He doesn't want it to be easier. And so there's just the pain of knowing how true that is. Just that like, yeah. oh, God, that's so true. That just sucks how yeah. true it is, you know. So shortly after yeah. that is when we meet Mercedes. But I didn't even think of Mercedes as a woman. I thought of Mercedes as just, I thought of just that trio as kind of the, because up until then you'd met people who were used to the wilderness. And this yeah. was when the gold rush was big enough now that other people who weren't prepared to be a part of it decided to yeah. jump in. And so yeah. I felt like they just rep- represented those those late adopting buffoons who want to do the thing, but they don't realize how hard the thing is going to be, and yeah. and they just fuck it's it up. Them. Yeah, and yeah. and they want it to be yeah. easier than it is, and they want it to be uh, cushier than it is, and they want it. But I didn't even think of her. I mean, she is a woman in the story, but the other two dudes. I mean, I felt like they just represented like that yeah. kind of desire to do something without having any idea what you're getting into or how hard it's going to be or believing that you have to prepare for anything and wishing it was easier and just how terribly that goes in general. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about your thinking of the, that, that, that trio that came along with too much stuff on there, you know, just that whole section of the story. So tell me about that. It was Charles and Hal and Mercedes, Charles and Hal and Mercedes. Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, I just saw it as um, Buck, sort of the, the, Buck is about to surpass everything he's learned. And he's basically got these buffoons and his, uh, the dogs are dying. He realized, you know, in some sense, he, he just surpasses them. He's like, these people are going to kill us all. 
and he just kind of is like it's like when you are on dead tour and you got it you thought you wanted to get a ride from Denver to somewhere else with a particular crew and then you did like the first 150 miles and you were like yeah I gotta get out of this van and we're all going to prison yeah like, <laughs> yes yes <laughs> yeah. it's just like that you're like Prison. You're like, there's not a mechanic in this crew. Like, none of you guys know how to fix the van. <laughs> like, oh, are you no, kidding no. me? I'm like, hey, let me help you guys. You have like sheets of acid. Don't drive 85 miles per hour. Stickers <laughs> all over your car. You all have dreadlocks. Nobody's taking a shower, and everybody's smoking pot. Like, yeah, we are gonna get pulled over, and everybody's gonna go to jail. <laughs> like, right. Please. Right. Right. I just want to get off of this train right now mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I'm a smart dog. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Lauren, what did you think about this trio, Charles, Mercedes, Hal? Well, I think it's definitely an allegory for selfishness, right? Or, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, the, 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 the people that will use others or believe that material goods or, you know, are the same as doing hard work, right? Like, mm-hmm, you know, people mm-hmm. that think things are owed to them or think that they somehow have it figured out because, you know, they're very narcissistic in, in that sense of the word, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Which, you know, is interesting, obviously. I mean, it's definitely, it's meant to be a deep contrast to the kind of behavior that we are, you know, the other moral allegories that we see in the story, whether it's through dog or man. But, like, I don't think that anyone can argue that they are somehow not, like, villainous. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that was, like, yeah. it was very, it was very clear. But they were, I, fe- I felt like they were villainous because of stupidity and not because of pure malice. Yeah. Like, they were villainous because of stupidity. I think just those people like they were bumbling, dumb criminal types, you know, so the, the, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And my, my big message was like when you like how useless certain things are in the wild. Like if you see, think of somebody who's like on a camping trip with you and they're always trying to find a cell phone signal and you're just like, Oh my God, (laughs) stop, you know, but like they're on a camping trip and they're like, I can't get a signal. I want to tweet this. And you're just like, fuck, stop (laughs) it. You know, that, that reality. Yeah. It's 100% like, um, the, the concept that people truly believe that they don't need to be broken or changed in any way, right? Mm-hmm, like, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, like that that headstrong, oh, no, 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 I got oh. this figured out. I don't need, I, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, I got this. That that concept of, like, not ever expecting a struggle or expecting you're just going to beat it or something, that you know, that sort of haughty, narcissistic yeah. behavior. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you know from the get-go like you're not going to make it in this journey like you are 100 percent a plot point to show you know the contrast between the virtuous you know behaviors mm-hmm. or the virtuous growth of the characters yeah you're one-dimensional but also, gang. also all the other characters were all men and they were all manly and the first time we have a buffoon group show up there is a woman and i think that is worth noting yeah and because come oh, on yeah Sure. Come on. Like it's I think it's more about wealth. Them. I think it's more about wealth than gender though. 
because it's about because the rest of them were rough characters. They were just rough. None of them were like like besides the judge none of them could even speak well yet, right? So no right. besides the judge, every owner that he's had up until this point was just kind of a rough grimy, you know, kind of basic human, right? And then or it's like purity of art. Money comes right. in, right? So when, I see it more as like, because he refers to it that way. He's like, shorn of its glamour and romance, Arctic travel came right. to them a reality too harsh for their manhood and womanhood. Like they, they're, suddenly their wealth and privilege meant nothing because it was 60 degrees below zero and they didn't have enough food. Right. And it didn't oh. matter. And oh. so it was this like, you, your... It's like when you see, I, I don't know, I just think about all the times when you see somebody in high heels in, in, a, in a place where they need to run right. away, and you're like, see how those don't make sense? <laughs> those don't make sense. <laughs> high right. heels don't make, you can't run from a fight. Yeah, you can't run from a fight if you've got, or you're like out at night and you see a, a girl walking on the street at U of M and she's got on, it's like winter and she's wearing a tiny dress and high heels and you're like i yep. bet this is cute no but it's yeah, yeah it's oh, so stupid no yeah you're not a survivor so it's in, in my mind it was kind of like <laughs> the the like denial that you that or or the 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 facing the reality that your wealth doesn't matter in the wilderness it doesn't yeah. matter you you don't know anything here you just have but no so, anything. So the woman is there because only people who are couples are wealthy. Like, I get the whole wealthy, contentious thing. Yeah. But, I mean, still, the first time we have a, a buffoon group, I'm just saying, for the record, there is a chick there. I mean, he might have accomplished the same message without the chick. But I think having the chick, I mean, you can just see it in your head. Right. It's like this, this like sort of classic the men are there, and they're not the smartest, but the, the girl trailing along is, like, asking all the wrong questions and complaining yeah. about the heat. And, you know, it's, like, it's a very easy setup to kind of get across what he's, what he's getting across. I mean, it's effective and it works, but I think it is notable that there's no other women on the trail and there was never going to be in 1880. Right. And Even the thing is, is probably, was, they, they maybe, but maybe not. And also... Like, maybe it's because women were going, I'm not doing that. Shit is stupid. You think yeah. I'm going to be... Yeah, they were just deciding not to go. You know, they were going I like, it's not, it's not like they're being... I, like, in my opinion, I wasn't like, oh, where's all the women? I'm like, well, they didn't go because it's stupid. You know, it's not like... I was 100% Well, like, but I think that writers are men and men write stories about men. And this story is 100% mm -hmm. about men. Oh, I was thinking like, why, yeah. why, uh, why, you know, why are there certain stories about this? It's like, because women, like for me, I didn't grow up with women doing certain things. And it wasn't because they were excluded. It was more because like, I don't want to go do that stupid thing because it's just a bunch of dudes. Yeah. It's just a bunch of dudes and they're going to be dirty yeah. and smelly. And so there's not going to be as stupid. Yeah, yeah it's stupid. So the fact that she was there and completely unprepared. Like, that's the kind of person where you're like, oh, my God, you're just a burden. You're just a fucking burden, yeah. you know. Um, <laughs> so not only, you know, just just that person, high heels in the snow, bitch. 
Um, I think it would have been nice to have, like, a native woman. Right. Well, I think they they all are. That whole crew serves their purpose, right? I see what you're saying, but I just think that whole crew serves their purpose. If you put your girl with the height of the clear plastic heels and the tight dress walking through the snow, if you put her (laughs) with two dudes, my point is, if you take her out of the group, it completely changes that group. (laughs) well right but it's not because she's but it's not because she's a girl it's because she's a girl with with heels in the snow but shelly the writer made a choice to use a female to be a buffoon he could have had male buffoons he created two of them but he nails it by he brings it home by oh i'm gonna put this girl here and she's a buffoon too and she's obvious she's like obviously the buffoon she's the girl in the plastic heels she's an easy target She's walking down the street, and you're like, that girl's an idiot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's obvious. It's easy to pick well, on them. Yeah. One That's could my... say, too, that the, at the time, the story was serialized, right, in, like, a very popular yeah. like, you know, publication, you know? Yeah, so yeah. one could say that, like, clearly the social construct at that time, too, is, you know, this is not a story. You know, girls are not going to follow in my story footsteps necessarily you know you know even if the the story includes the tale of pastoral america for men right i think that the important thing to remember now is that for every girl that is ill-prepared and poor footwear choices i.e you know like high (laughs) heels in the snow there is an equally prepared woman i.e. like I'm sure there's tons of women that live in native, you know, Alaska or what you know, what have you, people that, that get it and understand that and know that. You know? Um Yeah. That's I think that it's easy for I guess that, that's how I read stories, right? Like I had to read this in school. You know what I mean? I had yeah. to read this for your podcast. Would I have chosen to read it? Probably not, because I don't identify with a lot of the characters like right off the bat, but maybe that's just my like, conditioning or what have you. Mm. I mean, it's a good story, but you know what I mean? Like, I think yeah. that that's a very special thing for like when a young girl is reading this story, think about it. Like a kid has to read this in American public education. It's like there, then when, you know, the representation does matter to an extent. Yeah. But that's you know? not what it's about. I mean, it's, it's, it's a story. You have, I, I think the way it's probably taught, I hope so is, it's very much going to be about like, you're, it, this is all about men, and here's why. Because in society at that time, this is how things were run. So you know, right, and you're going right. to see one one chicken here in the story, and that's why. And then hopefully a good teacher would be like, here's all these other books that were published at this time, and so they have context. God, I hope because I, I'm not offended that there aren't more chicks in the story. I, I totally get it. But I do think when we talk about it now that it's very important for kids and for in general to be like, hold on, like women can pursue their inner animal too. And we are, and we're doing a great job of it. Yeah. See, I I thought it was all about me. I didn't care about the genders at all. I thought it was about the dogs. And like, I didn't like, who gives a shit what gender it is? Like, I watch cartoons, uh, and I'm not a giraffe. I'm not Big Bird. I, well, no, no, no. The thing is, is like, I'm not Big Bird. I'm not Big Bird. I'm not a cartoon character. I'm not Wonder Woman. 
but I relate to the characters that I relate to. And if they're a powerful woman like Sex in the City, didn't relate. You know what I mean? Annie Oakley, didn't relate. You know what I mean? But like Buck, I relate to Buck. I get it, right? So I'm not yeah. thinking gender. I'm thinking like character. Yeah. That's just how I'm coming to it, you know, because yeah. it just yeah. am. So now we're talking about love, right? So I feel like there's submission and I feel like there's hardening. I feel like there's being drawn to instinct. And then I feel like there's love. And what I think is interesting is when John Thornton saves him, he's, he's like ready to die and he's being beaten. And when John Thornton saves him, and every, and he watches the whole rest of the crew die as they break through the ice and go down. Um, yeah. And it's kind of like, oh, there they go. You know, he's so close to death that it's like, oh, yeah, they all died. You know, it's just like I picture like a, a child who's who's embroiled in the horrors of war. And, and they've seen so much death and so much, you know, mangled you know what I mean? Like children that grow up in war and they just know like everybody's missing a limb or everybody lost all their family or everybody was poisoned. You know, it's just like, Oh, there that is again, you know? And the fact that that's when he gets rescued. And anyway, so I started thinking about two things during this section. One was, um, is is love the same as loyalty because he's his life is saved and he's not harmed by this person and he's loyal and the loyalty's so strong that he's like giddy in love with his master giddy stupidly frothing in love with his master and he's never experienced it and it's a protective fierce love right yeah. and yeah. it's kind of like is love and loyalty one and the same and is that just kindness at the right time? The magic elixir of love, you know, that kind of really. I definitely think f- it's part of it. Yeah. It's definitely part of it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, absolutely. I mean, why are you, why, why become seriously loyal? Because um, in the story, you know, he, they're going to protect each other. Like that's the deal. And it's instant. And mm-hmm. they have it immediately. And it, I think it is chemistry, but it's also, I think Jack London's saying, like, there are good among us. We have to rely on one another and take care of each other. And that's what good people do um, in this harsh, harsh world. Um, yeah, so I think loyalty is a big part of it. But I, I don't know, loyalty is slippery because you can be, you can have fierce loyalty to a person and not, be able to um, like have a very like a, a, a healthy loving relationship you know what I mean mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. kind of they can diverge in my mind yeah what do you think about yeah. this love and loyalty Lauren <clears throat> well I think it's difficult because I think, it, I don't know, I, I get kind of bleeding hard about it too, right? So it's like the concept of someone is abused and abused and abused, and then they're shown like the tiniest liver of kindness and 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 then that's something that happens. Or, 
I don't know, something about, like, the nature of all of us, you know, because, like, for every dog that then is grateful to a master who is finally kind, think about those dogs who have been abused and abused and abused and then, like, decide to try and bite you or, you know what I mean? Or, like, the concept of can uh, that sort of abuse program you? You know, it's like you think about dogs that are in shelters, right, that, like, have to be put to sleep because of the results of, like, terrible treatment or, you know what I mean, like, things like that. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of like the chicken or the egg thing about can we appreciate true kindness and love without the sense of, like, having a history of abuse or neglect in some way, you know, like the yin and the yang of that sort of thing. Um, well, I think, will we ever truly appreciate it if we haven't been? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But loyalty shouldn't be bred on that, you know, like, no, I don't think it, I don't think it has to be. I think it just is in this situation. I just think it is in this. It just happens to be in this situation. And, And when I think about my, what I love is the way he describes the love. Because if you've ever had a dog watch your every move and follow you room after room and guard you and, you know, bark when the, someone, a stranger comes near you and all that, there's this fierce, protective love, you know, and they want to be near you. But But he does it in a way that's like, you know, not like, um, I think it's Skeet and Nig who kind of ask for affection. They sort of noodle up and nudge around and try to get get the affection. Yeah. And he just kind of sits and knows it's coming and excitedly waits for it. You know, he, um, he loves... He, he loves patiently, you know. He doesn't have to be the center of attention. He knows John loves him, and that's it. That's it. Who's, yeah. who's bumping around? Who's got... Chris, are you making noises? Are you peeing? What are you doing over there? Oh, yeah. I probably am. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you're rolling around in fabric right now. Um, but he doesn't... The... the what was great about this part for me was just kind of my love of dogs. It brought it all back to that person you know who has a dog that's just in complete adoration of them. And they they, they sit yeah. and they want nothing more to watch their master do their thing, <laughs> you know, and like... And they want to... They do want some of the affection, but they also just want to be happy knowing... That that's their yeah. person, you know, and I feel that way Absolutely. about love sometimes too. You don't have to be over here kissing my ass. I just like knowing that you're there and you're my person. And I like watching yeah. you walk around the room. And if somebody talks bad about you, I'm going to be a fierce defender. But I don't have to, you don't have to, I don't have to be the favorite in the group. I don't have to, you know, you can pet those other dogs. <laughs> But I need you to look over here at me and know that I'm your dog and you're my person. And that's, that's how that, you know, that's how that is. And, and the, when he, when he talks about with the way he describes grabbing the dog's head and shaking it and swearing and that just, and then him biting him, you know, biting him and, you know, biting his hand. I was just like, ah. That's the best. <laughs> That's the best. That is. That's the best that to the grab best. a dog's head and just like 
love him so much, you're pissed off. You know, you're just like, oh, I can't even <laughs> stand it. How much I love you. Yes, you just want to like, you know, and that kind of having yeah. your head up against a dog's head and just like, you yeah. love them. It's the best. It's the best. And when they grab yeah. your arm, when they kind of like loosely gnaw on your hand, it's the best. It's the best. It is the best. It's the best. Do you guys have such <laughs> what? nice, like, nice uh, associations with this? I like it. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and then, okay, so now we're getting towards um, him sort of embracing the wild, which this is my favorite, favorite part. Um, with, with kind of the descriptions of how he starts to feel unleashed you know the sounding of the call right yeah they, they find the place where the goal is the gold is and there he's already oh my gosh the bet where he pulls the sled the sled out yeah, yeah. that scene so, that scene is so amazing that scene so is great, like yeah. it's it's amazing and what does he say what does he say he says as you love me buck he said he's like as you love me. Yeah. And Buck yeah. Buck just goes nuts, you know, nuts. just like. Yeah. I love, I love that yeah. whole scene. Well, I lo- also love crazy shit that happens in small town with a bunch of crazy blue collar people <laughs> drinking, which is this same scene, yeah. you know, the same scene of like, you never know, it's like. My buddy's about to steal a tow truck. <laughs> and you're like, all right. You know? really? It's got that. Where? Let's do it. Hey, everybody, Jimmy's going to, you know, steal a tow truck, you know, and you're just like, woo. You know, it's that same sense of like, we're doing this weird kind of gritty small town thing, but all of a sudden it becomes this amazing feat of everybody's silent and he's being this magnificent beast. And yeah. Any thoughts on that scene? No, but I think it was like, uh, you know, Jack London very much being like, this is like symbiosis. This is when, when everything's working, it's like this. Mm-hmm. And um, kind of the, the, the man's world, um, like purity, joy, like this is the benefit, this is the payoff. Mm-hmm. Lauren, yeah. anything about that big scene? Yeah, no, I think it has to do with, like, the, you know, the guttural sort of pride one feels when things are working and you don't, you know, you never expected that they would all come together, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, well, this cat, the characters, like, we got it this and we got it that and are they going to figure it out? You know, it's like that, mm-hmm. but that sense of, like, you know, swelling pride that you feel for, like, the dog and the man, you know, like, they're in it. You know, they, they finally have yeah. clicked. That's the, that's the point in the story where the score, you know, gets really inspirational and comes up high. And, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. it's, it's working. It's working. Right, right. There's a payoff. Yeah. The payload. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, and then my favorite part where he starts getting primal and primal and primal. And the reason why it's my favorite part is because this is where I identify the most with with Buck. Is that like when you pay most attention to what is most true about the nature of your being, 
undeniably, and you can get closer and closer to it and remove the layers between those two, which is kind of what he's doing. You know, he's realizing like, oh, left to my own devices, now that we have enough to eat and now that we've got gold to find and now that I can just go be a dog, then what do I do? And he just runs and runs and runs for hours and kills and eats. And I think about that person who like, they want to dance and then they finally get into that dance program and they're like, Oh my gosh, I can dance for 10 hours a day. And it's almost like there's no time, you know, you're, you're lost in the pureness of your, like, I just dance. That's what I do. There's no like, what time is it? Should I have eaten? Like there's just dancing or there's just hunting or inventing or whatever it is. The thing that once you pay attention to is your true thing. And, and so my love for Buck is the representation of like, he's embracing it and losing any discount, anything that's disconnecting him from his purest self is falling away. It's completely falling away. And again, toad venom. So I'm going to go back to that for a minute. (laughs) I'm just going to go back to it, but my, it's really what it's about. But, um, my my the these last like twenty pages. Oh no, Chris, where are you? Are you do, are you still on the phone? But you're not on the screen anymore. I know you can still hear. Um, but but my thought was jealousy almost. Like I'm jealous. Like yeah, yes, jealous. Yes, like we like. I feel like I may never have the opportunity to be that wild. Like, how does one release oneself from the constructs of, um, I mean, I don't have a lot of trappings of (laughs) society, really. But, well, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, there's some people that are way deep in, do you know what I mean? Lots of belongings, lots of trips to the salon, lots of caring about what's happening in, pop culture you know what I mean I'm disconnected from a lot so I'm saying like by comparison to my surroundings I am Mm. less connected to the worldly matters than a lot of people that I know is what I'm saying and in no it sounds very Buddhist like it's it's very it's a very Buddhist ideal that one would shed their connections to the like material world and truly be able to kind of just only hone in on, you know, meditate and hard work and be able to be at that level of Zen. So I yeah. get what you're saying about yeah. like the idea that you could be so unencumbered, so unencumbered. unencumbered. Yeah. Uh, right. And then you would be released of all of your burdens and you would find true joy mm-hmm. in being released from those things that are holding you back. Yeah. And, and just being the creature that you were intended to be. You know what I mean? Before, absolutely. Before you had to like, yeah. But I think we can see that and also watch the Kardashians. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is a thing. Yes, yes. We could never truly be that unencumbered, right? Right, right, right. Like we could never truly be. Right. In my opinion, that I mean, he's doing it on purpose because it brings this message that message home so clearly. That so clearly. That is, like, the, the romanticizing of, because it, it, it's very much in in time, 
I think about to be the age of enlightenment or something, or past, just past the age of enlightenment when yeah. ideas and all that, right? And communicating and... Yeah. Well, well, there's, it's so, so it's, well, you're having an industrial revolution, right? Like, so this is before, or a a less complicated time when Mm -hmm. there were still wild terrains to, yeah. When there was still wild terrain, when, I mean, they were fighting with Indians. Yeah. I mean, it was wild terrain. It was wild terrain. Wild, wild terrain. Absolutely. And I, I, I think like in so many other stories like this, when the character, at the end sort of, you know, evolves off into this, 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 this question mark, you know, of what's coming is this better place because they've earned it. It's just fulfilling sort of that hero's journey. And it's very romantic in my opinion. Um, but it's, it makes for the perfect story because what you really want is what you hope for is that that is the case that you might have to deal with a bunch of assholes, but if you just keep working on your shit and you're surround yourself with good things, good people and, and work on the purity of self and being like truthful about who you are and letting all those pieces come out, which apparently isn't possible until you're like 50. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. Fingers crossed. Um, um, yeah. I mean, I think all of that's in there. And again, why, uh, even though the story is about dogs and I think it's a hundred percent a dog story. I also think the dogs serve the, the message of the story best. Like you just couldn't have done it better because it, they're, they're the perfect symbol because we are so close to them in our lives still. Um, but you know, we know what it means to sort of be out there on the edge yeah. and with each other. And you know, the dog, the dog wins the day and it's yeah. just great story it's well, a I've, great message of like the good fight like the good fight it pays off see i'm not I've, i was thinking of it more as like okay so he goes through the love and then he goes through yeah. the loss and then he's free and then so my lesson was like he wouldn't have been free without the loss because even when he journeyed out for weeks into the woods he came back to John, he came back to him because the, the love was was strong. The call of the wild was strong, but the love of his master was strong too. And 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 so you know he goes out longer and longer. You know he goes out for hours at first, then he goes out for days, then he goes out for weeks, right? But he always comes yeah. back. And and so what hit me was like he couldn't have been free until his master died and or or could he like there's no telling how the story could have gone but my my thing of jealousy was that kind of pure instinctual beingness where you don't have to go where you don't have to go are these shoes okay to wear you know like where you don't have to go you know uh, should I eat this you just know, you're just living, you know, that pure yeah. living. And so that, that tribal, um, because of recent experiences <laughs> and that kind of sense of, <laughs> that sense of like uh, dissolving immediately into pure consciousness with the universe <laughs> and, 
and then revisiting it most nights and waking up to the world and going like, oh, I'm here again. I'm here. I'm in this. I'm on, I'm on my home planet. And these are the p- people and the clothes and the things, you know, but there's that connection, that like wild connection to like we're all, we are living this life, you know, we are living this life that we, we're in right now, we're sitting at the feet of the judge, maybe, maybe it doesn't feel like it, but we're living this civilized life now. Um, yeah. And... I don't think it's, well, it's romantic if romantic can be also fearful. Like, it's a fearful thing to let go of civilization, I think. It's a, it's a, but it's the call of the wild, right? It's not the call of a slightly better life where I've sort of figured out my shit. It's the call of the wild. So it's the call of, like, I just want to be with the trees and the river and the meat and the, uh, you know, just that call. Um, is pulling him through the entire story, through the entire thing. He's connected to his ancestors. He's connected to his n- primal nature. It's like the the lineage of his entire being is calling him to be more of that type of being. And right. and and it just gets stronger and stronger and stronger until he's just in it. He's yeah. fully in it at that point. So, see, I think it's like. I identify with the sense that it feels like it could also be you know, like home, right? Like mm-hmm. yeah. if you were to compare it to, right? Because the wild right, his home. is actually home for, you know, that's the natural like habitat, like being at home with yourself or feeling, you know what I mean? Like feel, yeah. it just made me start thinking like if I were to think about like, the kind of battle that one would fight that would be similar to, you know, like subsisting in the like Arctic wild. Right. Mm -hmm. It would be for me, the landscape of my own mind, you know, like that's where I would be the most encumbered and, you know, all those things that you feel and all the, like the anxieties and and the things that go through your mind Mm -hmm. and the idea that you could be at peace and at one and feel truly at home, like with yourself or Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, like, cause like, I don't know. I mean, this is a bit granular, but when you consider like, what is my natural habitat? You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I mean, I kind of know a couple places like ancestrally where I came from or whatever, but like, you know, you travel and there are certain places that you go to, you're like, oh, wow, there's something about this. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yes, yes, you know, and like, and it was a very rural area, but then like the cliffs of Mohair, and that's where my mom, you know, we trace back the lineage and stuff. And there's there's weird stuff, and like seeing things like, oh wow, that's a tomb from like 3000 BC, or so, you know, like mm-hmm. you feel like in awe and connection. Yeah, it, yeah. Or that's, that's something yeah. that I am always we all search for it, right? Like, I mean, I I started to think, you know, I have a family, I have this, and we have lineage, and there, it's like there. It's like you try and consider, like, where will I be truly at home and at peace? And is it is it a place? Is it a state of mind? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, it's yeah. Just, I think interesting to consider because you were talking about jealousy, and I was like, that's what I'm jealous of, like being able to love and lose and let go, and then find yeah. peace. Because I mean, the constant cycle of love and yeah. loss and pain and hurt and love and lo- you know, like, 
And mm-hmm. so you think about that, like, I don't know. It's interesting. Still deep. I think, too. <laughs> Try and well, consider. I think, like, I think it, it's like him is basically the story is are you going to answer the call of the wild so what if it takes you to other places because that's that's how you have to get there for for your particular call you know Mm -hmm. what i mean and like this was this was buck's call like yeah and he answered it yeah that's where he felt home Yeah. yeah absolutely yeah yeah i definitely think that you know the no matter where you go there you are thing applies very much in a modern way but as a story about you know you go through a bunch of shit and no matter where you go there you are so um yeah sort of yeah see where it takes you yeah well I think about survival isn't it well and but but I think about there's that there's that magical thing of living on the earth and there's certain people who, you know, they get later in life and they'll be like, we realized we had to be near the water and it feels right. like, and we're, we're going to work and, and we're going to have to be near the water. Oh, we realized we had to be on land. Are we realized, y- you know what I mean? And those people who like will rearrange everything so that they can go to the place that feels closer yeah. to what is primal. I think, but what 100%. is primal? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. 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 Okay, we're coming up on the hour here. So, wow. So, you know what is wonderful? I just started my job. This is the third day of my job today, and I'm surrounded by books all the time. I have access to all the books in the world and preview copies. So, you know, if we want to be, like, the first people to read, yes, it's so wonderful. It's so wonderful. There's books everywhere, and we talk about books all day, and we – talk to bookstores and we talk to libraries and we talk to reviewers and we talk to publishers and we just talk about books, 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 books and what books are coming out. So no, it's great. It's the greatest. I love that. It's the greatest. It's so I'm happy fun. For you, Shelby. It's so fun. It is. It is. And all day today we were just, and everybody that works there, you know, they're, they're book loving folks. <laughs> they're book loving people and they're, um, so it's a wonderful kind of camaraderie of just like, ooh, I haven't read that, you know, because I think there's certain environments that I've been in where I'm the main reader, you know, <laughs> like, where if I go, have you guys read this? You know, there's not a lot of people jumping on board. But like in this group, everybody's on board with that conversation of like, hey, yeah. do you know you can just take any of these books home? Any of these review co- There's books just everywhere. And so um, it's great. It's great. And so when you guys think about like what might be the next genre or what, you know, are we thinking mystery fiction? Are we thinking like um, whimsical cooking story? Are we thinking like French children's (laughs) book? You know, have you guys read, have you guys read with, if we were to do a comparison between Call of the Wild and Wild by Cheryl uh, Strayed. I think it's Wild. No. Yeah. I can't wild. remember. No. Yeah. yeah. Wild. Yeah. I oh, think I've read it. I think I've read it. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think Ooh, I read it before. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, I could do that or I could go light. <laughs> I, okay. could, I could go like bubblegum pop next. I mean, I could go. Uh, I just read. You know. 
I feel like I want to talk to you guys about. Uh, I just read this book called Nobody Cares. Have you heard of that? It's a memoir. No, maybe. I think that you would like it. I, I'd be interested. So it's kind of it's like a memoir, but it's sort of like one person, you know, one young woman's story about how she has like gotten to where she is. I don't know. It's interesting. Okay. Cool. Okay. Awesome. Well, um, so send details about a couple of suggestions on the email group. Okay. And um, thank you for that. I'm always surprised at the discussions. It's really awesome because I come at it thinking cool. like this is what it's about, and then it's and then it's all rearranged. It's great, ladies. Thank you for making the time. I know you're yeah, both busy and great. And uh, it was great. Yeah. I loved rereading this, and uh, until next time. Okay. All bye. right. Love you. Bye. bye. bye you love you.